0: Hey, if you have your Bibles, you can do me a favor, grab them, and you can turn to James chapter 5. James 5, if you're on a device, uh, that's good too. Um, you can go to the ESV version, and keep up with us there. James 5, we've been learning a lot about wisdom uh, over the past, gosh, I don't know how long it's been now. Since the last September, we've been doing James. Going to wrap it up at the end of May, um, but we've been, James has really been sort of reaching into our hearts and giving us practical wisdom. What does it look like for us to live out this life that we now have the benefit of having Christ living inside of us, his spirit living inside of us? And what does it look like now with his words coming into our hearts and shaping and forming and reforming us? What does it look like now to live lives uh, in a world that has conformed itself to different values and standards. And so James is just super blunt, if you've noticed. I mean, if you've ever wished Scripture would just tell it a little more like it is and be a little more clear, well, we have James, right? And so we've been, we've been getting that from him all through the book. Uh, one of the things that we might not think of when we think of wisdom is this idea of being patient, we're going to learn a little bit about patience and about waiting, but we typically don't think, you know, patience is one of the, of the attributes or the characteristics of wisdom, right? I mean, we just think of patience as something that we luck ourselves into at times, right? Like, man, I'm so proud of myself when that guy cut me off on Main Street. You know, I just hit my brakes. I didn't do anything. I let him move over. I let him, you know, get in front of me. And I just backed away. I was patient. You know, I could have done a lot. I could have made a lot of gestures, but I didn't. And so we kind of think of it as something that we sort of stumble into and on our good days. And when we're really thinking clearly you know, we, uh, we practice a little bit of patience. James is going to give us sort of a, a different way of thinking through patience and how it's supposed to work in our lives. And really what we're going to get, given how blunt James has been, is we're going to get a little of James's pastoral heart for us. He shifts from coming down in judgment. Remember last week for those outside the church who use their money and their riches and their wealth to oppress others. And he's going to encourage the church now who suffer from this kind of oppression to be patient in that endurance and to wait on the coming of the Lord. Maybe you don't know this, and I said this a little bit when we started, but part of what we do as the Gather Church on Sunday is we're anticipating the coming of the Lord together you guys ever think about it like that? This is one of the things that we're doing, man. When things are hard, when we experience, man, just tragedy and injustice, when we see wrongs that we long to be made right, when we feel like there's nothing left in us, and endurance, that word even, just feels like a dream Now, what are we supposed to do with that? Well, our tendency is to just want to fight back, right? To push back, to vindicate ourselves, to gain some kind of control, to maybe even enact or plan out some way to like get vengeance on a situation. But James provides a better way for us today. He's going to encourage us to wait in hopeful expectancy to actually echo the words of John in Revelation 22 when John says come Lord Jesus like the response is to say Lord we're anticipating we're waiting for you we see what's going on we're not blind to what's going on and our response is to say okay come Lord Jesus we need to wait we need to have this expectancy that's just swimming in hope and in patience I have to confess Something that, is, that actually is sad for me, um, and I'm praying that God would help me with, I, I came from, speaking about the coming of the Lord, I came from a tradition of churches that thought you know, the Left Behind series was like inspired scripture, right? And uh, maybe some of you guys are offended by that now because you thought it was, or you came from that in tradition. Instead of the Lord's coming being something to wait in hopeful expectancy for, it, it was just... Man, it was just sold to me like this crazy, spooky, you know, dystopian, like teen novel. I mean, I don't know about you, but I had no idea that Kurt Cameron and Nicolas Cage would be major players at the end of the world, right? I I just wasn't anticipating that, right, until I got all this thrown at me, right? And I'm joking about that, obviously, maybe. Um, But that was the theology that shaped me. And it, it may have been you too, depending on your tradition, depending on the, the era that you came up in. James is going to help us with that a little bit today. He's going to encourage us to be patient in suffering and in waiting for the Lord's coming. And that that should be something that shapes us and keeps resetting us and resetting our eyes back to Jesus Christ. So let's pick up in in chapter 5, verse 7, and this is what he says. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it, until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand, Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. We're just going to stop right there for this week as we've been sort of piecemealing our way through James, just taking a few verses at a time. But I'm going to to sort of go down into three encouragements here that James gives us for how to wait. And the first one that he says when we pick up in verse 7 is that we're to wait in hope. Remember, James is talking to those he loves who are a part of the church. Brothers and sisters who are suffering within the culture that they've been placed. And he is saying... Man, we are waiting together for something. Remember that all of us, the Gather Church, all of us who are meeting in all these various pockets around the world right now, kind of like what I said a minute ago, man, we are anticipating something together. We might share different traditions church traditions, like we're doing things a little bit differently here than maybe, you know, the Presbyterian church up the, up the road is doing, or maybe the Assemblies of God church on the other side of town is doing. But there's one thing that we hold in common, there's a particular commonality, and that is that we are waiting together for the coming of the Lord. And so James is writing to churches saying, be patient, be patient, we are involved in the process of waiting, And that's what James lays out here is that there is a process of waiting and hope together, being patient together in our lives, and being reminded of that on Sunday mornings as a way to gain and gather strength in that waiting. We are worshiping a God we trust to return, because he said he would. He just didn't tell us when. And that's where everybody gets so jacked up because it drives us crazy that we don't know when. And Jesus specifically said, remember when he said, nobody knows the day or the hour, not even me. In my human form, I don't know the day or the hour. And that just drives us a little batty because we're just so bothered by things that God knows that we don't know, which by the way, that ratio, if we're ever thinking we're getting closer to that ratio, that, that ratio is so far apart, right? But this is something that we feel like we should be able to get our, our mitts around, right? James is saying, be patient. He's saying, be patient until the coming of the Lord. And this is just so counterintuitive for us, this call from James to, by the way, that word be, to be patient. Not do patience. He didn't say, hey, do the things that will cause you to be the most patient. Do the most productive things that will lead into patience. But to be patient like a farmer, he says, who doesn't yet see the fruit, but he waits in hopeful expectancy for the rains to bring the fruit that he's hoping for. And this helps us understand something about patience and that it's a process. Like a farmer, and if I'm speaking for you and I get this totally wrong, come up and see me after the service. But a farmer doesn't pace the floors of his barn impatiently for the fruit of the field to appear, right? Right? He understands that there's a process. He waits in hope for what will make the fruit grow, which is the early and the late rains. And when James was writing this, he knew that this particular culture would understand what he meant by that. A farmer hopes for what he cannot see in the moment. And in this way, hope for us as the church is the fruit of patience. Paul said in Romans 8.24, he said, for in this hope... We were saved. He said, now listen, now hope that is seen is not hope for who hopes for what he sees. In other words, like I'm not hoping that I have a Bible in my hand right now. It's there, right? But then he says this, listen, he says, but if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. So in this sense, hope is the fruit of patience. There's also the imagination that comes with patience. Paul mentions in 1 Corinthians 2.9, he says, What no eye has seen, nor ear has heard, nor the heart of man imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. Patience feeds into that. This imagination for what God might have for us, what he might be preparing for us, because of his love for us and our love for him. Patience keeps our focus on the unimaginable and story-like glory of the Lord's return. And we trust that God is doing what we cannot see in ways we cannot fathom in order to prepare the soil of our hearts for his coming. Does that make sense? So we wait in hope We wait and hope. Why? Because God has never made a half promise, right? Have you ever qualified your promises to people? Uh, You know, I I aspire to do that. I'm going to do my best. I'm going to say my intentions are to, to be there, but I can't make any promises. Like how many times do we say that? Besides like eight times a day, you know? But God doesn't make half promises. In fact, God always over promises and he overdelivers every time if we want to use kind of a phrase that's common to us. We don't need to be cautiously optimistic when it comes to the promises of God. But we need to be cautiously optimistic when it comes to anybody else's promises, right? Because even if our intentions are good, stuff happens. The thing that we can depend on when we think of the Lord's promises is that they will always be followed through because we're not talking about somebody who's like us or who has the same things in his life that prevent him from following through like we do. Second Peter 3 reminds us the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness but is patient toward you. Not willing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Man, that just gives you a sense of God's heart. It gives you a sense that you can bank your patience on the promises of God, and it's the best thing for you to bank that patience on. James is saying, be patient. I get what it is that you're going through right now. I mean, never once in the book of James do we see him not facing the reality of what these churches are facing. Do you think that God doesn't know or understand what it is that you're facing? Do you think that there's even one nanosecond of the last year that any of us have experienced that God is going, oh man, you know what? I, I saw it coming, but I'm telling you, that caught me a little off guard. You know, the mask stuff, just, guys, I wasn't anticipating that. That caught me off guard. All that racial reconciliation stuff. Well, guys, that, that's just strange because I didn't see that one coming at all. I mean, we treat God like somehow, like all of these things are just hitting him like they're hitting us. And we freak out, right? Right? James is saying, don't freak out. Be patient. Have endurance through the things that you can't see that God sees like a farmer who waits for the early and the later rains because he knows that that is what needs to happen within the process of fruit coming in. Wait in hope. James says. Secondly, James says, pursue holiness while waiting. He says, establish your hearts there in verse 8. Be patient. Establish your hearts. And he reminds us again, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. So we pursue holiness, which is cultivating a heart like the heart of the Lord's. It's seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. It's setting our mind on the things above. That's what it means to pursue holiness. It means pursuing the very heart of God that if you are saved you now have but it's something that needs to grow and be cultivated and become more like the heart of Jesus Christ. James says establish your hearts. Establish your hearts. In other words What gives you a heart that will help you grow in this patience and hope? The Apostle Paul actually tells us in 1 Thessalonians 3.11, this is what he says. Listen to this. He says, Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you. So he's writing to a church in Thessalonica. And then he says, And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you. Listen to this so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. Paul was saying, hey, we're trying to get out there. We want to be with you. You need to be patient though and not just wait idly around for us, but you need to abound in love for one another. You need to establish your hearts while you're waiting for us to be reunited increase and abound in love for one another. James is writing to a church and to a series of churches that desperately needed to do that because there was somebody there sitting next to another person in a church service like what you are doing right now that needed to remember that they weren't alone. They needed to understand and be reassured that what they were going through was not unseen by Jesus. And by the way, not unseen By the people who are with them. How important is that for us? Establish your hearts blameless in holiness. Become more like the Jesus you're waiting in patience for to appear. It's kind of like when you know you have guests coming over. We had a guest uh, arrive at our house uh, last night. Um, but it's kind of like that, you know, um, when you know somebody's coming over, you prepare the house, you prepare yourself. So when this person came over last night, like we weren't just like me and Melissa were just standing there like in bathrobes, right? The whole the whole house just like torn apart, just a mess, right? Um, you know, everything in disarray, everything in clutter. That, that is not how we wanted to receive our guests. We wanted the person to feel as if we were prepared for their coming. They might have a different idea on how great we did at that job, but, um, but that's, that's the heart behind it, right? There's a version of you that you probably don't want the person, that guest, to see, and that's probably for good reason, right? James is saying this, okay? He's saying, don't waste your waiting, He says we are, by default, waiting for something we can't see. We're waiting for something that we don't know the timing of. We're waiting for the coming of the Lord. He's saying don't waste your waiting. Establish your hearts. Pursue holiness. Remember what we learned a few weeks ago about our lives being just vapors. About our lives being, he said, he used the word mist." Remember that. Don't fall into the temptation of impatience, which then leads to foolishness, which then leads to a denial that this life is a mist and we're actually waiting for something far more critical and important to the way that our hearts are gonna be affected than anything else we're doing, which is the coming of the Lord. Does that make sense? So James is saying wait and hope. He's saying Pursue holiness while you're waiting. And then finally, he says, wait without grumbling. He says, wait without grumbling. Do not grumble, he says in verse nine, against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. Now, this one is particularly hard for me because I don't have any experience with it whatsoever. (laughs) Grumbling. Um, What's funny is that we tend to dismiss grumble, even the word. Oh, quick, quick grumbling. Stop complaining, right? But it's actually how a lot of us relate to each other. Melissa and I were having this conversation the other day and we were were thinking about some of the relationships that we have with people and how almost foundationally like grumbling and complaining is kind of what has sort of like cemented the relationship together. There's certain people you get together with because they're kind of on the same wavelength as you are with certain things and you just end up complaining and grumbling about everything. It's, it's how a lot of us relate to each other. It's how we interact. It's how we even form relationships. How many conversations did you have this week about the blizzard that happened last Wednesday? What did we have? Like 19 inches of snow overnight in April, right? I mean, didn't we just have Easter like a month ago? I, I mean, it's like, it's like I, I feel like something's out of order here. Am I missing something? You know, it's like, no, you just live in Ohio, Ronnie. That's what you're missing. You keep forgetting that you live in Ohio. But I'm sure it wasn't a bunch of hugs and high fives for how hyped you were about how spring was going, right? It wasn't that at all. But more specifically, and getting into what James here is aiming at is how many of our grumblings and grievances have been expressed over the past year against our brothers and sisters? Just because of the the pressure that we've been under, because of the weight that we have felt over the past year for how out of routine we are. How much of your grumbling and grievance has been against your church leaders over the past year? We shouldn't dismiss grumbling because in our grumbling, this is what we're doing. We're dismissing God. We're dismissing God as the one who is working good in our life through both the blessings and the blizzards. Right? I wrote a whole book on grumbling and I can't remember one word from it (laughs) other than our grumbling against one another is actually against the Lord. So when we are grumbling, when we're complaining, when we're acting like our lot in life should be different than what has been given to us, what we're doing is we're mimicking the Israelites in the wilderness when God had delivered them out of Egypt. And the first thing they do is look around them and forget the freedom that they had. And they back into the fact that they were missing a couple of their creature comforts. And that's just such a good representation of who we are and what we struggle with. Moses would say to the Israelites, by the way, guys, your grumbling isn't against me. Your grumbling is against God because he is the one that provides everything for you. He is the one that we need to go before in humility and even with the requests that we have. James is saying, I see what it is that you're going through. I see that your tendency is to want to be impatient and to not endure through some of the suffering that you're experiencing. But remember, one of the things that you can so fall easily into is this this pattern of grumbling and complaining against one another. man. When things get tense, the thing that we typically do is start biting and fighting with one another. Like, like I would say that the church has, I don't know, a great history of that, of doing that. So James is saying, hey, be, be guarded against that. He's cautioning us against falling into that pattern. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10, 9, he says, we must not put Christ to the test as some of them did, talking about the Israelites, and were destroyed by serpents. Nor grumble, he says, don't grumble, as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer, meaning God. So there's this thing that we don't really consider, which is that God is not super pumped about our grumbling and our complaining. Because again, when I'm complaining to Melissa, it's not really about Melissa. It's about the God who is over Melissa and mine's life. That's who I really am taking up a grievance against. James is reminding the church that complaining is a dangerous type of forgetfulness. Does that make sense? It's refusing to be mindful of Jesus who stands at the door and whose coming is always imminent. right? And this is why we need wisdom. This is why we need the wisdom of patience because it helps us to be aware of the closeness of Jesus. In other words, listen, if you believed the Lord could return tomorrow, complaining about your life and about your environment and about your community and about your leaders and about your nation would be unthinkable, wouldn't it? If you all knew that Jesus was returning tomorrow to bring us with him forever into glory, it would be a crazy thing at some point today to go, the weather, can you believe it? It's overcast again. <laughs> I mean, can you even imagine that, right? I'm going to have to return this burger. I, I asked for medium rare. I, it would be unthinkable. I can't believe what my life has become. This is insane. Did I tell you what so-and-so said to me at work? You see, like you see, what the the workload I've been given over the next week. Dude, he's coming back tomorrow. It would be unthinkable. And what James is saying is, we should be living lives as if the Lord could return tomorrow, which then negates against grumbling and complaining. It sets up our hearts so differently. It causes us to have a, a renewed understanding of what actually is. Turn to Philippians chapter 2. I've been going through a lot of passages, but haven't had you turn it in. Make a hard left, go to Philippians, a couple books to your left, chapter 2, verse 12. While you're getting there, I'm going to read. Paul says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Remember who saved you is what Paul is saying. Remember who you serve, a holy God. He said, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. And then he says this in verse 14, he says, do all things without grumbling or disputing that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked And twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. So there is something about the church when it decides not to adopt the complaining and grumbling tendencies of the world, man, that we will shine that very thing alone. When we abstain from complaining, we will shine as lights in the world. And he says in verse 16, Holding fast to the word of life so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. So what Paul is saying here is that it will have all been worth it. It will have all been worth it. All the things that we are enduring through, all the things that we find ourselves just mired in right now, we wait in and hope. And we pursue holiness when we stop our complaining and our grumbling, it will have been worth it because of the light that begins to shine brighter and brighter out of us into a community that is buried in darkness. So in our year of COVID, let's not turn against one another is that something we can all shake our heads to? Let's hold firmly to Jesus. Let's hold firm to the words of life. And it's so easy to find fault. Let's remain faithful to Jesus. One of the ways we do that is remaining faithful to one another, patient with one another, not grumbling to one another, remembering that God got this. This has been a bitter year, you guys. So be still. This has been a bitter year. Wait and hope. It's been a bitter year. Will we stand firm? Because the question that you need to ask yourself daily is what is the Lord forming in you through this? What might he be producing in your heart that wouldn't have otherwise had the chance to grow if you had been as productive as you usually are this year? Wait in hope. Pursue holiness. Guard against grumbling. Why? Why? Because the Lord is near. And every day he is nearer than the day before. But before his physical appearance, don't forget his presence with you this morning. Because there is a fatigue in this church and in the church that is palpable. But greater than our fatigue is the face of Jesus who is imprinted On our hearts. Man, we just want to fight through our fatigue. But James says, don't fight through it. Be faithful in it. We want to be expectant for the coming of the Lord. Because we don't know the day or the hour. We want to draw the encouragement from what Scripture actually tells us about the coming of the Lord. How it's portrayed in Scripture as this beautiful and hopeful and momentous day when Jesus reunites with his church and we enjoy the culmination of his mission to make all things new. Imagine that. Imagine Jesus returning to abolish sin and death once and for all. Imagine the look of joy on his face as he returns. Imagine all the longings of your heart fulfilled. Imagine all the sorrows you've experienced having been what prepared you for being with Jesus forever. I think I said this last week. I'm going to say it again. In an interview uh, Tim Keller had with Russell Moore, Russell Moore asked him, hey, what final words do you have for the podcast, for our listeners? He's been battling for a year now with cancer. And Tim Keller simply said, this brilliant guy, he said, if Jesus is really alive, then everything's going to be okay. That's the, that's the, that's the word of wisdom that that Tim Keller had for us, which comes straight from scripture, which is literally what James is implying for us today. If Jesus is alive, if it's true that he has resurrected from the grave and that he is not dead anymore and that what he said about returning for his church is true, that means that everything is going to be okay. That doesn't mean you're not experiencing stuff and that that stuff isn't real and that that stuff isn't damaging and that you haven't been wounded, it means that it's not meaningless. It means that at the end of the day, we can count on being with the one who gave his life so that everything in our life would be made new again. He carried our wounds with him on the cross. And that is the hope we have of the gospel. That's why the gospel is good news for you, because all of that stirring and all of that grumbling and all of that impatience, do you realize God took all of that? Jesus, being God, took all of that on his shoulders on the cross. And he said, Someday, beginning today, all things will be made new. And that is what we anticipate as the church. We have all the hope in the world because it's an otherworldly hope. And that's why when we take communion now, we're reminded of that. That's why communion, even the symbol of it, is so important for us because it anticipates, once again, the hope. It remembers the death of Christ and it anticipates his coming. I'm gonna invite uh, Nick and Jess up now. First Corinthians 11:26. Paul said this, and he said, "For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes." So what we're doing is we're looking back; it already happened, but the culmination of it is not yet. So it's the already and the not yet that we are partaking of when we eat the bread and drink the cup. Now, if you are somebody who has not yet been saved, committed your life to following Jesus, it's like anything else. Before you, before you do the symbol of something, you want to experience the real thing. And so we would ask that you just hold off. And we do that with a great amount of hope that during this time of prayer that we're going to jump into here in one minute, you would use this as an opportunity to go before the Lord and remember his sacrifice and that you would believe the gospel, that you would be free from your sins as you repent of them, that you would no longer be a slave to those things that hold you down and keep you separate from God, but that you would embrace the broken body and the shed blood of Christ which the Bible tells us is the only way for us to have peace with God and to have that sin removed from our heart. Our prayer is that that would be you. Our prayer is that we'd be baptizing you in like 10, not 10 minutes, but like, you know, in a, in whenever, as soon as we can get that tank up here. So let's bow our heads. Let's open ourselves and our hearts up to the Lord.